hope is held in your hand When castles crumble And bread is fleeting Thank you, Brooklyn, and good morning to all of you here. Uh, it is, oh, all right, we've got some people that are awake here and uh, ready to dive in, man. What a wonderful privilege to be here this morning, singing God's praises, being reminded of his faithfulness, and digging into God's word. What a, what a treat here. We are in the midst of Paul's fiery letter to the Galatians, and so uh, whatever else we're in for, this is not going to be dull. Uh, this, uh, this letter is pure spiritual dynamite, as you've seen, as you've been following along. Um, it's been a, a letter packed with deep, beautiful gospel truths. And so I'm so thankful for Sebastian jumping into chapter 5 for us. Last week, I got to skip that infamous test, text about people emasculating themselves, so I'm off the hook on that one at least. <laughs> So one of Paul's colorful uh, metaphors here that make this book what it is. Um, But I get to do a short text today, just a short little transitional passage here. Um, But it's a passage that helps us turn a corner in the letter. If you've been following along, um, Paul has been adamant about preserving the purity of the gospel. He said, Jesus plus anything equals another gospel. Or as Sebastian put a little finer point on it last week, a false gospel gospel, right? People don't want to add things to Jesus, circumcision, Torah, all these ceremonial practices, uh, all of those sorts of things, they're another gospel, right? But here in chapter 5, Paul transitions from warnings about this false gospel and false teachers to the implications of the true gospel, right? Paul's primary goal in this letter is not negative. He argues that we have been set free by the gospel not to do whatever we want, but to become who we are in Christ. This is Paul's point in the linchpin text of the letter, which uh, Mark preached earlier in our series, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so in chapters 5 and 6, where we're going, Paul unpacks this vision for our new life in Christ. So this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where Paul's vision gets very concrete and very practical. So if you've been wondering, what does this new life in Christ look like in everyday life? What does it mean to be formed more and more into the image of Jesus? Uh, This is what we're going to be unpacking in this week and the following week. Week. So if you're more oriented around practically, how does this work itself out, play itself out, you're in for a treat in the next uh, couple of weeks. And so uh, I'm just going to be opening the door to that conversation. Pastor Josh will be up next week and others are going to continue to flesh this out. Uh, but I get to start us off here in verses 13 uh, through 15. In this, th- in this short text, I want to look briefly at three things here. I want to look at the warning Uh, Paul lays out in verses 13 through 15. I want to look at the exhortation. He gives the church this encouragement uh, to a new way of living. And then finally, I want to look at the foundation for 
uh, the Christian life back. I'm going to go back into Sebastian's text, back into verse 6 here. Uh, And my aim for this morning's sermon is that we would increasingly become who we are in Christ, people uh, characterized by faith and love. And so let's pray as we dive in that God would meet us here in his word uh, this morning. And so, Father, we confess that we are tempted uh, daily to use our freedom not to serve one another through love, but to indulge our sinful nature. Uh, God, prone to wander, Lord, we uh, feel it. God, see, would you teach us how to love? God, would you teach us how uh, to walk in this new life that we have in Jesus? And we'll be a church more and more characterized by this love, a church that people in our community can say, boy, uh, those people love our community and love our city well. And so would you come this morning uh, by the power of your spirit? Would you open up your word to our hearts and all? Would you get the glory and everything said this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So we're starting here with, with the bad news is that we're starting with a warning. Uh, and as usual, Paul is, he's, he's pretty direct. Um, he's pretty intense. Uh, but in verse 13, we get this warning. For you were called the freedom brothers only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul doesn't want his readers to get the wrong impression, right? Freedom from being under the law does not mean freedom to do whatever we want. Paul is worried that this teaching could easily be twisted, that all these Galatian Christians reveling in the freedom of God that Sebastian laid out for us last week, and we have been hammering on throughout this series, that people are like, all right, man, uh, this is great. You know, it's all grace, man. Party on, right? We can just live in the life. And, And certainly Paul's critics in Galatia were certainly saying that very thing. Paul, he's just... He's his greatest cheap grace, man. He has no interest in actually becoming, you know, godly, upright sort of people here. And so Paul, after extensive warnings about legalism, wants to make sure his readers don't fall into the ditch on the other side, back into license, back into wild pagan living, which the Roman and Greco-Roman culture was famous for. And so Paul warns them not to use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so what does Paul mean by the flesh? Now, if you have like the NIV or if you get the New Living Translation, you see that the flesh is translated as sinful nature, right? Often, but not always in a text, uh, the flesh there is uh, Paul's way of describing the sinful nature, this inner complex of desires that we have in, the, in our fallen nature. So when he's talking about flesh, he's not just talking about our body, our physical nature. That is a good, wonderful thing that God has created. God's made us as people with, with bodies, and that, those are good things. But flesh, in Paul's nuance, the way he is parsing it out here, has to do more with the sinful and selfish appetites of our fallen nature. And so there are those appetites within us that we know, if we allow them, will get us into all kinds of trouble, and ironically, will lead us into our own kinds of bondage, right? Because if you drink too much alcohol, right, you're going to run off into this bondage to addiction, right? If you eat too much food, you're going to become a glutton. And, and so Paul's warning about all of these dangers here of indulging the sinful nature and the consequences. Uh, John Stott um, summarizes it, this, this whole first point that Paul's making this way. He said, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. So I think that's a very helpful summary here. The kind of freedom Paul is talking about is a freedom from sin, not to sin. Now this kind of flies in the face of 
many of our cultural narratives here. So, so when you think of freedom, what are some of the things you think of here? Um, you wanna, anybody want to shout some ideas out? Think freedom. We're in America. Like, we're the freest country in the world, man. We got, we got freedom. Like, we have defined freedom, right? What, what do you think of when you're thinking of freedom? Anybody want to shout out any ideas when you're thinking of freedom? Yeah, just shout it out. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. This is America, right? This is how we do. It's how we roll here, right? AK-47. AK-47. Yeah, you can, you can have whatever you want. Any kind of weaponry and hardware, right? We, we're, we're that free, man. We've got lots of freedom going on. Any other great description? Free speech, right? I can say whatever I want, and no one can tell me what to do, right? Right? We got all kinds of, yeah, free speech is great. This is a free, and, and we love the freedom we have here in, in the United States here. Let me give you a few other illustrations that I snatched. I didn't know how brave and bold you guys were going to be in terms of stepping up. So, so I grabbed a few. Uh, the first one I grabbed from one of our great philosophers of our culture today, um, a gal named Elsa, actually. And, and she, said, she said this about freedom. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, right? <laughs> if that doesn't define American freedom, I don't know what does, right? I mean, this is like not just embedded into our brains, but into the brains of our children. And they're all being brought into this freedom reg means freedom from rules, freedom from whatever. If you want a slightly more uh, updated version of this, uh, if any of you have watched the new, ep- new movie Turning Red, uh, there's a line right at the end of the movie there um, which says this, and it's kind of a soliloquy to the audience, and it says, you know, we've all got an inner beast. Uh, we've all got this messy, loud, weird part of ourselves hidden away, and a lot of us never let it out, you know, but I did. How about you? And it's this invitation to, to let out the inner self and just do, you know, express, you know, this re- expressive individualism is one of the great themes of the culture we're living in. And so, so, so when we're thinking about freedom, we kind of have to rethink what freedom is for us as Christians today, right? Because everything, we're swimming in a stream that says, just be who you want to be, just express yourself, whatever feels good, no right, no wrong, no rules, just do it. Like, just express yourself, whatever feelings you have, just let them out, let it go, is the uh, refrain of our culture here, not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, But Paul is doing something different, right? Paul doesn't simply warn the Galatians about abusing their freedom to indulge the sinful nature. He goes on here in verse 15 to offer another one of his vivid and colorful metaphors to capture some of the dangers here of indulging the sinful nature. And so in classic Paul style, um, he gives his warning here in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. You're like, Paul, what on earth are you talking about? Biting and devouring is the language of ravenous wild animals. And so this is a very dramatic picture Paul is trying to paint here. He's saying the Galatian church is danger of eating each other alive, right? He's saying indulging in the flesh amounts to a kind of cannibalism. And so we're like, whoa, Paul, whoa, what are you getting at here? What I think Paul is trying to say, he's warning us that if we use our freedom to indulge the baser desires of our sinful nature, it will not only be harmful to ourselves, but it will be harmful to others. If our main goal in life is using our freedom to indulge our desires, then people simply become means to that end. 
Rather than serving one another through love, we will use them to get what we want. We will quite literally devour them. That's Paul's language here. Uh, C.S. Lewis uses similar language in the screw tape letters of the demons who want to devour people, eat them alive. I mean, it's pretty terrifying language here. And so, so Paul's main burden in the book of Galatians is legalism, right? <laughs> right? All these people that want to impose all this law keeping on them. But boy, he has a zinger in here, doesn't he, for license. Just, just a few verses, but boy, he goes after license and well and says, it is dangerous, right? It is deeply dangerous stuff. So we're warned in the strongest terms possible about abusing our new freedom in Christ. So what are we supposed to do with this newfound freedom that we have instead, right? If we're not supposed to be wild animals biting and devouring each other and trying to get all that we can to express our desires, we get a different vision for what freedom looks like in verses 13 through 14. So notice what Paul says instead. This is true freedom. This is Christian freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, Serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Instead of indulging this sinful nature, Paul wants us to serve each other, serve one another in love. And so Paul turns this whole concept of freedom entirely on his head. Right? Instead of freedom to indulge our desires, Paul says that we have been given freedom to serve. And this is pretty paradoxical, isn't it? Right? Service equals true language. I mean, this word phrase can also be like slavery. Like you, it's a little bit of a play on words here in the Greek here. It's like, wait a minute, Paul, service is freedom? Slavery is freedom? Like serving others, putting others' interests before ourselves is freedom? Like what on earth? That makes zero sense. to That does not register to us as Americans, right? Freedom is, you know, we just put a line through service. Like freedom is expressing our own desires, our own passions, and doing what we want to do. And Paul does something, he's like, no, service is actually true freedom. So what does Paul mean by this, right? This is paradoxical, it's confusing, it's counterintuitive to us in the West today, where freedom is defined very much negatively, and the freedom to do whatever we want, no restraints being put on us, no restrictions, no burdens, no boundaries, no rules. You know, this is something different for us to think about. What does Paul mean? I think what he is getting at is that true freedom is the freedom to love, and love always involves service and sacrifice, right? Let me give you a few illustrations here for you. If biting and devouring and wild animals is is the illustration on the one hand, what does it look like to actually serve one another in love, to bind ourselves to others in love, to restrict some of our freedom to love people well? Marriage is perhaps the classic illustration, right? In marriage, we give up some freedom, to pursue other relationships, for instance, (laughs) right? To be free to focus on loving one person well. And so if I told my wife, hey, honey, I'd like to include a few other ladies in our marriage, right? You know, that would be freedom, right? I mean, there'd be, it'd be a very, what do they call those things? Open marriages today or whatever? You know, that would be very free, but it would not be Christian freedom. And my wife has assured me already that she would walk out the door very quickly and that I would be short one at least one relationship at that point here. I don't know if I could convince anyone else to, to get involved with that. But, but anyways, that would be freedom, but it's not Christian freedom, right? Christian freedom, on the other hand, offers something else altogether, right? The freedom that comes with marital fidelity, 
right? The freedom that comes with marital fidelity, right? We get to experience the trust, the confidence, the acceptance, the the vulnerability that comes with loving one person for life, right? That's a different kind of freedom, but it's no less, or actually it's far far better kind of freedom, right? A freedom to know someone well, to experience all the beauty that comes with, and the safety that comes with being in one relationship with one person for life, right? See, the freedom for love, it restricts some of our freedom to do what we want to do, but it also opens up these new avenues for us to experience a kind of freedom that many people in our culture are not willing to take, right? It opens up a a road less traveled, shall we say, uh, for us in this beauty of marriage that that Christianity has laid out for us. Um, Maybe to give another example, I could mention... um, My wife and Jamie and I, not to be too referential here, but too self-referential here, but my wife Jamie have also done um, foster care. We've been on this journey of foster care, and by bringing more children into our home from all over the world, kids from Somalia and kids from Mexico, kids from Honduras, kids from Guatemala, you know, kids from uh, all over the place, um, we certainly gave up a kind of freedom. I mean, try finding babysitters for seven people that speak different languages and, you know, (laughs) It's a tricky thing, right? There's, there's some freedom that you surrender, right, when you add more people to your life and to your home. But we've gained a new kind of freedom as well, right? The freedom that comes with welcoming new people into your life, experiencing new cultures and new language and new food and getting to do that all the time, right? It's an entirely different kind of freedom. Again, the road less traveled for many people of welcoming people into your life and being able to experience the freedom of that on an everyday uh, basis. And we could say something similar about friendship. We could say something similar about service to the least of these. By restricting some of our freedoms to love, Right, we gain something even more valuable. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here. Right, The kind of freedom we get is not a, a freedom you know, to sin, but it's a freedom or but it's a freedom to live this life of love and service to others, which opens up these new avenues, new vistas of freedom uh, that many in our culture haven't gotten to experience and see uh, the beauty of. And this is why Paul goes on to say that the whole law, this is interesting, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is going back to law, back to Leviticus 19, 18, this beautiful summary of all of the kind of horizontal commands of the law, the way we're to love other people in our lives. And it's crazy, isn't it? Paul, the guy who's been arguing against the dangers of being under the law, right, for a right standing with God, he's just been like going off on that for the last four chapters, right, is now talking about how, and he's following Jesus, of course, in this, that the law is primary about love, right? That that's what the law is there for. It's not there to establish our standing with God. It's there to help us understand how to love. The law was given as training wheels, so to speak, for the people of Israel. Here's some rules that are there to help you love other people well. And now that we have this new freedom in Christ, we get to take off the training wheels and love each other like Christ loves us, right? That's the, the message we see all throughout the Bible. Here's just one instance of this. 1 John 3.16, this, this is how we came to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers, right? That's the beautiful revolution of love that Jesus brings through his death and through his resurrection, right? We see this new paradigm 
for what love looks like, and we get to live more deeply into that. And Jesus himself said in John 13, 25, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a beautiful expression of what the Christian community is supposed to look like. A group of people that love each other, right? That serve each other through love, model a different kind of freedom. Not a freedom to pursue our own self-interest, but a freedom to love and serve one another. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a community like that, where people came alongside to love and serve and walk alongside as people are having babies and getting married and moving and doing all of the stuff of life, to have a community that just comes around, supports, encourages, and serves in love. I mean, we have an incredible opportunity to model this kind of community, this kind of freedom in our marriages, this kind of freedom in our parenting and our friendships and our care for the most vulnerable through things like uh, laundry love, this beautiful freedom to serve each other through love. What an incredible opportunity. That's the kind of freedom Paul is painting a picture for here in Galatians chapter 5. And I would just add one important caveat here about love from a from a senior statesman here, uh, the late um, Reverend John Stott, he said this, and I think this is important in our cultural moment. Paul does not say, as some of the new moralists are saying, that we love one another, we can safely break the law in the interest of love, but that if we love one another, we shall fulfill the law, because the whole law is summed up in this command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right In our culture today, um, Often, the love is often pitted against God's law. And for Christians, there can be no contradiction, right? Because God is love. So especially when we're talking about hot-button issues like human sexuality, we need to remember that God's beautiful design is an expression of his love. If God has set limits on our freedom, those are the limits of love, right? We see that in marriage. We see that in so many of our relationships. Um, And yet again, we're, we're swimming upstream here when we're talking about this kind of love, a law that is not a contradiction, not a love that's not a contradiction law, but a love that is a fulfillment of the law. So as Christians in particular, I think, and in people in general, I think we intuitively know, right, that we shouldn't be selfish, that we should serve one another through love, and, you know, we're all like, yeah, okay, that sounds like a good church thing. <laughs> it sounds like a Bible thing to do. Probably none of you would be like, no, that's terrible. What a bad idea. But if you're anything like me, this doesn't come naturally. Serving one another through love, it's not just my default posture of being in the world. And so in closing, man, I want to go back to the foundation Paul lays for serving one another through love. He's, he's picking up in verse 6 on this through love piece, and I think we get the foundation for it. And so I want to unpack that, go back and uh, give us a little of the foundation behind this text here so we don't miss the thread from Sebastian's text last week that really propels us and empowers us to be this community that serves each other through love. And so uh, the foundational verse here is back in verse 6. And I would argue this is the foundational verse for the Christian life. And uh, Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Let me read that again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything 
but only faith working through love. Paul, Paul grounds this new life in a new way of being, what he calls being in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have died to your old way of life and are risen with Christ to new life. Remember our key text, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the life. I live now, live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, the power, the joy, the resilience, the love all flows out of our union with Christ. It comes from the one who gave himself for us and rose again to give us new life. See, this is the engine, right? This is the power. This is the, the dunamis. This is the, that's driving our new love and the, this new way of serving one another together. It's not I, but Christ in me, right? That's the power source of this new Christian life. And so we have to stop and pause and ask ourselves, right, have we been crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but Christ is living in us? Is that true of us? Have we experienced Christ's work in our hearts, softening us and changing us and and giving us hearts that are burdened by his love and uh, the kind of service that characterized everything about his whole way of living and being in the world that ultimately culminated in the cross where he gave himself for us, right? Is that who we are at the deepest level? Have we been crucified with Christ? Or are we just trying to do this whole Christian living thing in our own strength, right? Nothing could be more exhausting. Nothing could be more tiring. (laughs) Nothing could be more burdensome than to have this great command to love like Jesus loved. and Just just do it all on your own strength and your own limited, finite abilities, right? All of those resources become available to us in Christ. So how would you know if, in fact, Christ were living in you, empowering you, working in your heart and life? Paul lists two things that are irrelevant to our union with Christ here in verse 6 and two things that are indispensable to our union with Christ. I want to close with these. First, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, nothing, no value, right? And so, of course, for Paul's readers, circumcision represented adherence to the Torah, the 613 commandments, right? It represented this whole way of living as a Jew. Uh, It represented the religious festivals, their kosher diet, all of these ways of being in the world. And surely for a Jew in the first century, right, that's what defined what it meant to be a part of this Jesus movement, right? You kept the law diligently. And then Paul says radically, circumcision doesn't count for anything, doesn't matter at all to your new identity, new life in Christ. But he also says, with some beautiful balance here, right? Neither uncircumcision, that doesn't count either, right? And that represents their old way of pagan living. Just, just do whatever feels good to you. Just, just express your inner desires and, and just, just go with whatever feels good. He's saying, that doesn't count for anything either. Sorry, self-expression doesn't identify you with Jesus, doesn't unleash the new life that Jesus has for you either. Rather, Paul lists two things that are absolutely indispensable to our union with Christ that are driving our union with Christ that, that, that help that life come alive in our hearts and in our souls here. And, and these two things are given to us in verse 6, right? 
You know, neither, uncircum- neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count, but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. Those are the fundamentals of what it means to live this new life in Christ. When I coached soccer for five and six-year-olds, um, it was awesome, man. I love thinking about the fundamentals of the sport, right? I'm like, all right, kids, you're a little five and six-year-old. You're down here. You're running around in a soccer field. This season, you are going to learn dribbling. You're going to learn passing, and you're going to learn shooting. And that's all we're doing. Just repeat every practice. You're going to be, you're going to be dribbling. You're going to be passing. You're going to be shooting. And then we're going to actually do it in a live game scenario for Paul as he is turning the corner on this practical new life in Christ. He's like, guess what, guys? The only thing that really counts is faith working through love. These are the fundamentals of the Christian life as we're living this. This is the outworking, right? Faith is our belief and trust and radical surrender to Jesus, just casting ourselves upon Jesus, recognizing that we can't live this kind of life without him, that we need to die to our old way of being. We've got to come alive to an entirely new life in Christ, right? Faith is that reaching out to Christ, casting ourselves on Christ, you know, leaning upon Christ, trusting in Christ, right? And love, then, is the outworking of that faith, right, to God and others in our life. It's faith working. It's faith finding its expression. Of course, these two are deeply connected. Paul doesn't say, you know, all that counts is faith and love. He says it's faith working through love. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way, faith literally energizes Love, right? If we try to practice the love of Christ without any faith in Christ, we cut ourselves off from the power source of the Christian life. But if we claim to have faith in Christ but don't love our brothers and sisters, we prove that this faith isn't genuine. Once again, we're cut off from uh, the power source. And we're going to talk about this power source more in the coming weeks. Stay tuned. Pastor Josh is going to be bringing the heat. But for the moment, I want you to see that faith and love are the fundamentals of our new life in Christ. And so what would it look like to actually live out our new life in Christ this week? Let me close with just a few uh, possible ways to think about this. First, we're going to have to deny the impulses to use our freedom to indulge our sinful desires, right? And we're, as we said, admittedly swimming upstream here, right? Everything in culture is saying, do what feels good to you. Just let it go. Do whatever you know, you want to do to express you. Um, So it's going to take some conscious effort to remind ourselves that the boundaries God has set for us are for our good. They're the limits of love, right? And we're going to need other people around us who can also remind us of the beauty of God's design for our life, that God's commands, God's rules are for our good and for our flourishing. We forget that. And sometimes we need to be shaken a little and go, hey, you forgot about that, right? We need people alongside of us. We need a band of brothers who would walk with us and remind us that God's rules, God's uh, boundaries that he set are for our good. Second, we're going to have to keep uh, this vision for Christian freedom, that freedom of becoming who we are in Christ front and center in our everyday lives, right? This is who we are. We got to, since freedom in our American culture is do whatever you want, uh, having a freedom that's defined by becoming who we are in Christ, right? That's going to take some getting used to. That's going to take some practice. We're going to have to learn how to do that. And so we're going to need to keep passages like Galatians 2.20, right, in our vision all week. The reminder that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We've got to get that 
off of the brain and down into our hearts, right? We've got to find ways for those truths to seep into our innermost being. And so post that verse on your mirror, put it in your car, hang it up in your cubicle so that you can be marinating in those truths all week so they become real to you in your life. And notice how crucial faith is to this verse, right? You know, in Galatians 2.20, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, right? We're gonna have to make sure that faith is crucial. Faith connects us to Christ. It energizes this life of love. We need to grab hold of that live wire this week uh, or we're gonna run out of juice, right, in our lives. We're gonna have to find old ways of connecting with Jesus in our lives. We're going to find new and fresh ways to be connected to living Christ this week, right? Or that freedom for us is just going to fizzle off, right? We're going to just default to whatever is being offered to us around us. And then I'll say this, once we are living a life of faith, right? Once we're connected to Christ, we're going to see opportunities to serve and love all around us, right? We live in a beautiful a web of relationships in our lives, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere to go find opportunities to love. You don't have to add this to your checklist. You just need to open your eyes and start with the people around you. Start with your own spouse. Start with your own kids. Start with your extended family. Start with your friends. Start with church people that you are in relationship and community with. And you could broaden that circle as far as you want, but you don't have to go that far. You could adopt, you could foster, you could find a place to serve here in the city. Uh, We have some beautiful, beautiful opportunities to love. In Christ Jesus, nothing counts but faith working through love. I want to close uh, with one final, and I'm really going to close this time. It's like my third closing, my third pastoral closing. (laughs) Uh, It's terrible, isn't it? We pastors are... But this is the real closing. But one of my favorite C.S. Lewis, all-time favorite C.S. Lewis quotes uh, from The Four Loves, which I highly uh, would um, recommend if you haven't read it yet. Um, C.S. Lewis on, on love, I mean, oh, so good. He was a guy that really wrestled and reckoned with uh, the cost of love. But he said this in uh, The Four Loves, and I thought this was a great way to close our sermon this morning. He said, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, the alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, or the risk of tragedy is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And that's like a, <laughs> such a, an intense verse for me, man. To love is to be vulnerable. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be vulnerable. That's all. To love is to open yourself up to a broken heart. I don't want a broken heart. To love is to risk tragedy, but to love is the essence of true Christian freedom because God is love, and we have been called on this beautiful adventure 
of love together as a church family. And my heart, my prayer, hope is that we would be a church that knows this love, that we would step into the vulnerable places of loving, uh, serving others with the heart of Jesus. And so let's pray that that might happen here at our church. Father, we thank you for uh, Paul. We thank you for his passion for the gospel, but also its passion for its outworking in a life characterized by faith and love, a, a, a vision for a life captured by who you are and what you're doing in the world, and one that works itself out very practically in the way we love and serve one another uh, together. I pray that might more and more come to characterize this body here and that we would be known in our community uh, as a people that love uh, well. And so would you work deeply in our hearts and our midst, fill us with your spirit for all you're going to call us to be and do this week. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.